Well, this last Thursday, I had the real pleasure of spending the evening with some of the young people of our villagers because it was the second meeting of our youth group that we have just started in St Thomas's as Lockton for the children who left Archbishop Cranmer Primary School last summer, now in year seven in their various schools around the patch, and who we have got to know really well over these last three years since uh, we moved as a family to the Benefice, and for whom we really wanted to offer a safe and a fun place in our community in which to hang out with their friends. So that's what we are trying our best to do. One of the boys I talked to on Thursday evening couldn't wait for this coming week, his half term, because he's being taken with some of his friends to Alton Towers, for those of you who know it by reputation, if not having visited. Whilst I reckon that a trip to that theme park would be pretty popular with most children, he was completely and utterly buzzing at the prospect of going because he loves, and I really mean loves, roller coasters. In fact, he was able to tell me, uh, and some of our other leaders, considerably more than uh, I thought I would ever know, and perhaps more than I ever wanted to know, about the wonders of all the different rides there, their height, Apparently they can't be above the tree line because the residents complain, specifically at Alton Towers. If you go, they're all below uh, the horizon. Um, their speed and, of course, their degrees of scariness and exhilaration. I really hope that our young friend has an amazing time there this coming week, doing things that give him his biggest buzz. But I couldn't help reflecting afterwards how appropriate this conversation about roller coasters was, given the week that we seem to have had. Ministry at the best of times has the capacity for delights and challenges, highs and lows, but my goodness, this last week seems to have taken it to extremes. There have been brilliant times. The sheer fun of the youth group with its table tennis and great conversations, our wonderful first ever worship night uh, in St Thomas's as Lockton on Wednesday evening with local friends from other congregations. The celebrations of a beautiful wedding in Watton on Friday and then the lovely bustle of the craft fair in the TCC yesterday. But there have also been some massive challenges. Claire's and my diaries were rammed with commitments even before the week started. Then Esther has been ill, she's been off school and needing some real mummy and daddy care, which obviously means mummy care, to be quite honest. Daddy doesn't cut the mustard when it comes to sick children. Um, much of the week has been spent with her. One of our close friends suddenly became really very ill indeed, thankfully now resolved. Uh, but that was obviously a cause for, for huge concern. And then we've been having to give a great amount of support to a household in our wider community who faced an incredibly difficult set of circumstances over these past few days. Thankfully, again, uh, seeming to be much better by now. This certainly isn't a plea for sympathy. Those of us who go into ministry go in with pretty open eyes, I think. 
Uh, and also all of us have not dissimilar times in all our lives. But I did reflect with a, something of a degree of irony after my Alton Towers conversation with the young lad just how much of an utterly exhausting roller coaster, up, down, down, up, high, low, somewhere in between, this last week had been for our family. So where, you may be thinking, is the vicar going with all of this and why, uh, or what does it have to do with harvest? Well, as I said at the beginning, we are uh, continuing through our preaching series on our vision and values for the group. Forgive me those of you who've heard these before, um, but as I've said previously, by the time we get to the sixth and final set, of, or sixth and final value, next week you will have them all off pat. Our vision is this, uh, that uh, we seek to be uh, one growing community of disciples who seek to love Jesus, one another, our villages and God's world. And underpinning that are the following values. As we follow Jesus, we seek to be prayerful, joyful, hopeful, welcoming, generous and courageous. So this morning, amidst all the roller coaster ups and downs of life, and perhaps in this regard, we could think harvest-wise of all the extraordinary vagaries of weather we've had of late and the impact that this meteorological roller coaster has been having on our farmers' ability, not just locally, but across the whole country and indeed across the world, their ability to grow and harvest as they would normally hope to do. We're going to be thinking together reflecting on that, reflecting on the roller coaster ups and downs of life, about what it might look like to be a joyful community of followers of Jesus Christ. So what is joy? And perhaps just as importantly, what is joy not in our Christian understanding of the word? Some of you may have heard of Rick and Kay Warren, an American couple who founded and who co-pastor Saddleback Church in California, now one of the most influential churches in the United States, if not the world. Uh, and Rick Warren is best known for his multi-million selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, which you may have come across. If you haven't, uh, I highly recommend it. It's a very good read. Kay Warren is also an author and she wrote, choose joy because happiness isn't enough. And in that book, she says this about joy. Happiness is completely connected to what's happening to us in the external circumstances of our lives. Joy is unrelated to what's happening to us on the outside. Joy is unrelated to what's happening on the outside. In fact, our second reading this morning could even be said to go further than this. James, the author of the letter which starts with our passage this morning, is traditionally identified as Jesus's brother. And he's writing, as he says, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. That is the Christian diaspora, the Jewish diaspora, um, 
of, of new uh, Christian believers, not those in Israel itself. And he starts his letter after his initial salutations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So James not only suggests that joy, unlike happiness, doesn't have a positive outside source that makes us feel that emotion, but that joy can even exist within us as a consequence of external hardship, should we choose to respond in a particular way to that pressure upon us. How could this be the case? I certainly think that for most people who don't share a Christian faith or have a Christian context, this might be something they'd find very hard to get their heads around. But I also believe that those who'd think in this way would do so primarily because of a misunderstanding of what joy really is. Continuing along the lines of Kay Warren's writing, the Dutch priest and author Henri Nouwen wrote this of joy, that it is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war or even death can take that love away. Henri Nouwen indeed lived through much that formed his view of joy. He'd been a very successful and popular academic theologian in European and North American universities, but then had what he described as a spiritual death, as he completely burned out. A total change of circumstances enabled him to find once again Christ's joy in his life. He moved to live in a lush community for those with acute disabilities near Toronto in Canada. Nouwen found that both the members of the community and over time he shared a deep joy in life. Despite all of the day-to-day -day challenges that each member faced and the dark times that he personally had encountered. Further on in our reading, the Apostle James echoes this lived experience of joy. He first of all links an individual's attainment of joy to the testing of that person through spiritual and practical challenges and to the acquisition of wisdom built through the ups and the downs of lived experience. But James also makes a very clear distinction between this wisdom and joy and how they may be acquired with someone who lacks these character traits, that wisdom, that joy. Because even though this person may have come to God with their troubles, they doubt him and doubt his providence and goodness. And so they fail to have any firm ground on which to build that foundation of joy. Joy, in fact, assures us that God is in control of all the details of my life. It's the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, that comes with the determined choice to praise the Lord 
in all things, no matter what. Think perhaps of the, uh, of the famous parable of the wise and the foolish builder. The, the, the wise man built his house upon the rock, as the song goes, and the foolish man uh, did not, of course, and we know the consequences for them both. Joy is utterly linked to what we believe about God. What we believe he can do on the inside of each one of us in our souls. We then have a choice of what to do with this. We can, if we opt to do so, walk away. Turn away from God, build our house on sand and fail to place our trust in him and in his promises. The promises made and fulfilled to those who love him and choose to follow him that are laid out in the whole sweep of the story of people of God throughout Scripture. Laid out, indeed, through all of Christian history as well, from the time of Christ to today. Or we can choose to dwell in his presence, God's presence, reading Scripture, in drawing close to him in prayer, in glorifying him in worship, in our first reading, Psalm 1, right at the start of uh, the Psalms in which the, uh, the author or authors at different points, they celebrate the glory of God and his faithfulness to his people. Or equally, uh, the author absolutely shouts at the Lord for being absent, it seems, in his people's greatest hour of need or his own personal strife. In Psalm 1, the following is written. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that, that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields it fruit, its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do. Prospers. It's a glorious image of the person who's planted by streams of living water, by the nourishment that God offers to each one of us in prayer, in his word, in worship and in his love. Of the person who not only yields their fruits in season, but, who, but also whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. That is essentially that they show joy in all circumstances because they are rooted in all that God is and all that he extends to us. They won't waver from that place, unlike the person in James's writing who doubts like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. It's almost a bit like following Forest or County or Parish the Thought Leeds United or any other football team, because being a true supporter means that your connection with them is never really battered by external circumstances. When they win, you support them. When they lose or draw, you support them. When they get relegated, you support them. When they get promoted, perchance, you support them too. Not dissimilarly, if you have God's joy deep in your heart, that joy stays the same week in, week out, whether they're heading up or heading down. 
or whatever spiritual or personal trials you may be facing at that moment. But slightly more seriously, what does this mean for us as a benefice? If we're collectively to seek to be joyful as we follow Jesus, what practically does this look like for us? And what might the implications of it be for us, not only towards one another, but perhaps especially towards those in our communities who don't follow Jesus, and to whom God calls us to extend his good news and loving arms? Maybe some of you with us this morning wouldn't think of yourselves as a follower of Jesus Christ, and this might speak directly to you. Perhaps rather obviously, but nevertheless essentially, if we are to attain this joy, we're called to spend time in the loving presence of Jesus, in prayer, in soaking in scripture, in worship. That's why this last Wednesday's worship night of being in God's presence together was so wonderfully special, such a high on our roller coaster, if you like. And I'm not talking about just on Sundays, but on our own and with others. We're in, uh, if we're in a fellowship group or similar, throughout the whole week. It's not possible to build a meaningful and deep relationship with Jesus if we only communicate with him once a week or even less. You wouldn't do that with your family or your friends, would you? So why do we think we can do that with Jesus? As an aside, and by way of a bit of explanation as to why we didn't have a gospel reading this morning, but one Old Testament reading and one epistle, I didn't really see a huge amount of teaching about joy in all that Jesus said to his followers. It's so much more evident in the letters of Paul. Um, If you uh, recall back to the summer, we journeyed through Philippians together and we called that uh, the letter of joy. Throughout uh, that book in particular, there is this thread of joy uh, in Paul's writing and then in this morning's reading, of course, from James. I was reflecting on why this might be and I wondered if that might be because Jesus didn't need to say much about joy. Or might even have thought that to do so was slightly self-aggrandizing, if you like. Because his person radiated joy so profoundly. He was the personification of joy. That he didn't really need to speak about it too. Just being with him in his presence was sufficient for those around him to see truly what joy was. What joy is for us. But to draw things together for us now, I'd like to say this. It's my prayer that as a benefit, as God's gathered people in our parishes, over time we grow and we deepen in our discipleship because we have a more profound sense of God's love for us as individuals and as his church and for the communities in which we are so blessed to live. Choosing to respond to the Lord with joy and living out of that joy doesn't mean that we're not impacted by events, both those that are wonderful, but especially those that are tragic. Being a people of joy doesn't deny that experience. 
It says that we still feel that pain. Our hearts are still broken, just as our father's heart was broken when his only son, Jesus, was crucified. But it does say to us that we know that in the person of the resurrected Jesus, we know we already have the victory over evil. And that we choose to stand with and alongside one another, ministering to those in our churches and our communities, bringing God's comfort, his peace, his mercy and his grace. And above all, his love to one another. May we be and be known to be such a people of deep joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.